0: We were in negotiations, we investing in real estate. They're winning, they're making money. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Real Estate Educators Podcast, where we provide the education you can build on. I am your host, Kevin Amolsh. I am loving this podcast, you guys, because we are helping real estate investors and real estate content creators. So if you're a real estate investor, or if you're a, maybe a realtor or an agent, you're looking for investor clients, this is the podcast for you. Hopefully you like what you hear. I think you're going to today. So give me a five-star review and share this with a friend. So we have an awesome guest with me today. I'm actually, I've been wanting to have you on the show for a while, Lonnie. And so thank you so much for coming. And it's Glessner, yes? Yep, that is correct. Lonnie Glessner. So you have been in this business for a long time. I think it was, was it 2000, uh, 1998? You yeah, were an accountant. 98. And- 1998. Yeah. So you were an accountant, financial advisor, then in the mortgage business. You got some investment experience. You tell me you're going to beat me on the eviction, the best eviction story. So we're going <laughs> to find out today.
1: Um, yeah. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Well, th- Yeah. Thanks for having me, Kevin. This will be fun. I always love doing these podcasts or radio shows that I've done. So...
0: Yeah, I'm, well, I'm excited to have you. So I know I gave you a really short intro there, just a couple of sentences. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? He you says, way, way back in 1998, you became a mortgage, mortgage yeah. I sort uh, broker of stumbled
1: into the mortgage world. I was working at a bank during, you know, I started in banking in 89 in college and continued with it through grad school. And I graduated in 97. And At the end of of the year of 97, I started asking, okay, I'm really bored, you know, not making any money in the judicial side of banking. What else can I do? And they say, well, there's, you can always become a mortgage loan officer or financial advisor.
0: So I interviewed for both
1: positions and I liked the financial advisor idea, but I thought, hmm, I'm 30 years old and I have no money and I have no friends with money. It's going to be really hard to you know to get started doing that yeah so i said you know what, let's go do the mortgage thing you know i thought I'd try it for i'll give it at least a year maybe two years see how it goes and end up had some great success right in my first year in the first few months and I just as they say the rest is history just always loved the industry hated the subprime days because yep. I, I basically refused to do the loans. I did six of them. Five or more for realtors because they wouldn't do an FHA loan or wait. And I believe all five of them end up lost their homes.
0: Oh, gosh. You know, I, I entered the industry right around that time. So I remember so clearly before all the SAFE Act and all that. And yeah, it was Wild West, wasn't it?
1: It was. And they were just crappy loans. And so many of them, you know, were 80-20s you know, with terrible credit, you know, high debt to income ratios, two or three-year arms. The other thing was no escrow accounts. So you had people who couldn't save money, not escrowing, so they'd have trouble paying their taxes and insurance the next year. I just could see it was a recipe for a disaster, knowing, okay, they were, the rate started out like at seven and, you know, they had a five or 6% cap after the two or three-year period. And they're going to be 12%. They can barely afford the home at seven. There's no way in heck they can afford it at 12. And I just said, I'm not going to do them because I couldn't live with myself.
0: I remember those, a lot of IOs, interest only, a lot of negative amortization stuff. Right. And you're right. There was, you know, short term, like two, three years IO at a low interest rate, and then it pops to a 27 year AM at a higher
1: rate. And it's like, yeah, Yeah. I remember, you know, at that time I was working for a company called America's Mortgage and I was working in our tech center office and we used to have wholesalers come visit us all the time. I remember we had two of them from two different companies. I remember they both came in that summer, I don't know, summer of 06, probably, or seven and going, hey, we can now do no money down loans down to a 540 FICO. I point blank asked them. so do you guys get an extra set of house keys at closing? Because you know you're going to foreclose at that FICO score. And they looked at me sort of like, you are laughing. Go, what do you mean? <laughs> well, a that's a funny question. There's like an 80% chance of serious delinquency or default at that credit score. You're, you're going to get the home back. So you might as well get an extra set of keys. Yeah.
0: And so then, in two thousand eight, hit, and then they the yeah. the Safe Act, and they they came in yeah. with licensing, and then the the national re- registration, and all of that, and yeah. and you stuck with it. A lot of like that, that's kind of when I was exiting. I was like, I want to be on the private money side. I, this right. mortgage broker side is very difficult. Yeah. I, I yeah, for, you made it through, man. That's great.
1: Yeah, and that's you know, I started writing my weekly newsletter for realtors in 'oh six because I could just start seeing the writing on the wall of what was going to happen. And as I was studying, I've been a real estate stats geek for a long time. And I was just following the stats, seeing months of inventory grow and grow and grow, and then seeing builders so overbuild. I mean, yeah. by 06, builders had 30 months of inventory of homes for sale, because they ignored the demographics. You know, as I jokingly said, from, what was it, '02 to 05? They built, what was it, eighty or 90,000 homes in Metro Denver, and during those four years, fewer than 10,000 net new people moved here. Those numbers don't work. Yeah, they don't. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, this is going to end that, and it did. I mean, and that's the big thing, you know, for people to know today, uh, for home values to drop, you need a lot of distressed sales because of too much inventory, people losing their homes and We don't have that. And like I've been telling people recently, you know, the last three years since COVID, you know, the federal government through Fannie, Freddie, FHA, and VA is doing everything they can to keep homeowners in their home. They're modifying the mortgages and stuff. And I go, that didn't happen 15 years ago. Mm -mm. And thus this, you know, this is why another big reason why home prices are not going to drop. Because we're not going to have short sales and foreclosures like we did 15 years ago because the federal government isn't going to allow it this time. That's the policy. Maybe the policy will change, you know, after the next presidential election. But as of right now, we're not, the government's not going to allow people to lose their homes en masse to foreclosure.
0: Yeah, we've seen that with the, even with COVID and the moratorium, you couldn't evict or... Or foreclose, and I inherited some tenants during that time on houses that I that I purchased, and it was tough. It was tough because they, they were they just knew they could live for free, so that's exactly right. what they did. Yeah. Um, and I want to get into your newsletter because I'm an avid reader of it. But before that, let's let's hear about the real estate investment experience because you're also a successful investor.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, my wife and I got married in 2000, bought our first home then, and I. Totally started out going, okay, we're going to do the house hacking thing. You know, it wasn't called that then. You know, that term didn't exist. Mm-hmm, that's right. You know, it was like, okay, we're going to buy a home and then move every two years. And yep. buy another one. My strategy too, exactly. You, you know, we ended up only did it once because we end up had a, a son a little early. Okay. And so my wife just didn't want to move again. But that was how we started because I knew I loved playing Monopoly as a kid and still do as an adult. And, you know, I was learning a lot from realtors at Smedra at the South Metro Denver Realtor Association who had been investors, like say, since the seventies. And I saw the wealth they had built, the cash flow they had built, you know, and I remember talking with him, yeah, Lana, we bought this home in 75 for $35,000. The payment was $300 a month. And we didn't know how we were gonna make the payment. You know, you, you just go, what? Yeah, right. I'm I'm, I'm trying to compute that in my mind. Yeah. So, you know, I learned a lot from a couple of them and learned from others as well. And just like, okay, this is what I want to do. I mean, we got to the point of 10 doors because we had a couple fourplexes down in the Springs area. We'll get to my story here. My first eviction happened in 2014, September 12th, 2014 all right let's say after you know 9-11 and stuff anniversary and we had been renting to a single mom the first year had gone well no problems at all and we had rented to her because her younger son and our son were close friends and then she had an older son as well and I thought they'd been evicted from a couple other homes and stuff so we rented to her you know out of generosity of our heart and stuff and we really liked Nick. he's a good kid and and so first year went fine. Second year, well, she had some psychological issues and she decided to self-medicate with marijuana and then cocaine. and so things didn't go well. I started getting complaints from former neighbors because it was a condo, got complaints from the HOA. I think Jefferson County Police visited us three times to tell us, we're pretty sure she's dealing drugs from your your condo. We just haven't caught her in the act yet, just so you know. I'm like, hmm, okay, <laughs> wow. You know, yeah. so I was talking to a real estate attorney. Okay, how the heck do I evict her? You know, and he, and he said, you can't until she's charged with a crime where she quits paying the rent. And thankfully, in August of that summer, she quit paying. She didn't pay the rent. She didn't pay beginning of September either. So, we had started the eviction process in August and evicted her. We had to bring in, you know, the what was a 30 foot dumpster for all their stuff. Cause she didn't come to even clean out her place. Like when we were cleaning it out, we found, all, we found hundreds if not thousands of photos and video cassettes. Shoot, I found her boy's social security cards. You know, she just left everything behind. And so, and once we got in, it's like, oh my God, you know, there was a lot of damage, had to re, you know, re-drywall several walls, redo the carpet and flooring throughout, repaint, you know, the normal stuff that happens with, you know, when you're evicting someone. But then the next day, we got a call from Child Protective Services. And they said, hey, Nick wants to know if he can come stay with you guys for the weekend. That was her younger son. And we said, okay, sure. He's, he'd been spending some weekends with us already, and so because his, his mom wasn't doing well. And then on Monday they said, hey, can he stay for a couple weeks now? Because we haven't found anyone through the foster care system that will take a 13-year-old boy. Okay, sure. So it became two weeks. After that, it became, huh, we're still not finding anyone, and no one in his family is stepping up. How about the next two to three months? And he said, okay, well, we didn't really want him to go into the foster care system because he was a great kid. And end up in the end, we got permanent custody of him. Well, parental rights. So I evicted a tenant and gained a son. That's amazing.
0: You know, I think I heard that story at one point that you shared. And I don't know if I forgot or, or what, yeah. but that's a pretty amazing story, Lonnie
1: yeah i mean it is i mean when i tell most people are like yeah you got me beat you know nick's still a part of our lives where you know he's in southern california he's a professional pickleball player you know and trying to make his way and you know you know at that age they just struggle and i'm having to help him out financially i'm trying to lead him the way forward but you know i sort of feel like sometimes you know with Young adults, when they're your kids, you're sort of pushing on the string instead of pulling the string. They'll, you can only do so much. Where would he be without you though? Yeah, oh, I know. And so. What's up with his mom now, any contact? No, uh, I mean, he occasionally hears about her through his, his aunt, but he really has no contact with his biological family. Occasionally he talks to his older brother, maybe once a year, but his older brothers lost him and his dad, you know, or sound like deal drugs and stuff in Florida. And so it's just, yeah, terrible biological family he's from, you know, and we're we're it for him now.
0: I think you do have me beat also. I thought I had a chance here, Lonnie, because <laughs> I had a tenant after the eviction pitch a tent in the yard and move in to the front yard Ooh. of my property. And I had to like, how do you evict someone you've already evicted, right? So that <laughs> was a that was a challenge. You turn on the sprinklers? You know what I ended up doing? It did have to do with water. Um, I actually called the city and had them shut off the water. Ooh. So once she lost access to the, you know, because the host bit out there. front, out, out, right. So actually, she wanted won- to say. Yep. once she lost lost access to the water, then she moved, yeah. finally moved out. So that was like weeks, though she lived yeah, in a tent yeah. in my yard. We had
1: problems like that down with the fourplex and fountain. It was a south edge of Colorado Springs, and we had homeless living in the area along the river and stuff. And we finally had to cap off the water, fa- the, the water oh, faucet, and just two water it. faucets. You know, because we were facing the same thing.
0: Yeah, that's funny. And then the, thinking about the drug dealing, I had a condo in Denver. I didn't end up evicting them. They moved out on their own, but the cops definitely were on to them and raided the unit with like, you know, those big hammer things that knocked the door oh. down. Oh yeah. Right. They went in, they went in. So that was a mess to clean up. And then of course dealing with the HOA after that was a, because this is like a, an older, Community. I want to say it was 55 and up, but I don't know if that was a requirement. Okay. It was just a lot of retired and empty nester kind of thing. So mm. that was a tough one too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never never gained a son yeah. from an eviction. <laughs> so yeah. So all right. You win. Okay. <laughs> all right. So you you talked about some of the people you were working working with or learning from in Smedra, the, mm-hmm. the association for uh, realtors okay. there. Um, You know, it seems to be a common theme that everyone has help or motivation, some type of mentor or Mm -hmm. someone to inspire to. So who there was the biggest influence on you and and how'd that
1: work? Oh, gosh. I mean, a, a couple of them. I know one of them. I know Jim has passed away. I think Dave is still alive. I'm not sure Dave Cox is his name. And so just had gotten to know them and talked with them and seeing their portfolio and what they were doing. And I learned from others. I had another client who was an all-state insurance agent in Boulder who was buying, you know, a bunch of duplexes. He was working with a builder and they were building in the Elaria Swansea area. And, you know, I think I helped him with, I don't know, nine or 10 properties. He was buying duplexes there as fast as the builders could build them you know, and just learn from others. I mean, that's one of the great things about the real estate investing community It's such a sharing network, you know, pretty much everyone's willing to share their stories and their wisdom and advice. I agree. You know, you just don't see that anywhere else. And so that's one of the, you know, I love our community, you know, with that. And that's, you know, why I'm here or like, I'm just, putting back together updated I started teaching a class in 18 I titled how to create a pension using real estate so I was just finished updating it today and working on my CE credit application because it was CE credit approved what five years ago and then I let it lapse during COVID so I'm going to start teaching that class again hopefully in mass of just what I've learned and how you can get there and why you need to do it because as I tell people, most people, unless they're work for the government, don't have a pension. Social Security for huge majority of people is never going to make them rich, you know. And most people don't have a clue of how much money it takes to retire well, right? You know, they don't understand of where I, I show them. Okay, here's what's known as the four percent rule. I've had a lot of financial advisors now tell me because of longevity. They're using a three percent rule instead, where you can only withdraw three to four percent out of your IRAs on an annual basis, and hopefully not run out of money. Right. So on a million bucks, four percent is forty thousand dollars. And I go, okay, that's okay, but you're not going to get rich off of it. You know. No, so you
0: ideally you don't want to draw any. Like. Right. No right. I mean.
1: It, and so the average social security benefits about what is that i just looked at it. i think it's 1700 a month you know so you know if it's a couple you know a lot of times one has more than the other. So they may get 2500 to 3000 a month in social security have no pension you know maybe they have a million saved but most likely not you know i just try to teach you know other options and show them okay what's going to be easier you know, I show in my class, is it easier to save a million bucks or is it easier to buy two single family homes in Denver and have them paid off by retirement? Love it. You know, and I go, I prefer the real estate side of things because yeah, I have to put up the cash maybe to buy them, but guess what? I'm not the one paying the dang mortgages. Mm -hmm. My tenants are, you know, and it's, it's, it's amazing. You and know. over time
0: it is going to go up in value. I mean, I know right. that it fluctuates and you're, yeah. you know, that better than anybody, yeah. but over time it will increase in value. Right. Your rents should be increasing.
1: Yeah. And so that's just what I show in the class and, you know, the different types of properties to own, how to finance them or where to find the cash, some property management tips, that kind of thing that I've learned over the years uh, and all that. So it's a, it's been always a fun class to teach, so I'm going to start teaching it again.
0: Are you going to do that in person?
1: Yeah, I, I prefer to teach in person, it's just better. I can do it online. In fact, I was just talking with Jared over at First Alliance Title about because they've done some Zoom classes with CE credits because there's extra requirements. Yeah, I've done those, you know, and I was like, Do I do them? And I think if I Pretty much, will always have a title company sponsoring my classes. So if I have their sales rep, you know, monitoring stuff, I think I can do it then. But there's no yeah, way I've had with me teach, with that. There's no way with me teaching that I can monitor people. Yeah, Especially I think you're supposed
0: to take like shot screenshots of their camera. Being yeah, on I don't and know the,
1: exactly hard. how it works, but there's just no way, and it's sometimes hard for you, me to even go to the chat box. Right. And stuff, because I'm just covering so much material. Yeah, it's interesting you say the title company partnership,
0: because I've had the most success with that as well. When we do a class right now, Lonnie, on our own, we're not, I mean, the turnout just isn't there. We might get three, four, five people. And so we're at the point now where it's like remote or nothing. Mm-hmm. Like I'm with yeah. you. I want to teach live in person, yeah. but it's we're having trouble getting people to show
1: up. Yeah, I mean, and I was having troubles, too, you know, this past winter. I mean, we were finding, gosh, maybe a 40% show up rate, you know, in person, have 20 register, eight show up. And I even started calling everyone the day before, you you know, just to see if it would help. It did a little bit, but still there'd be people, oh, yeah, I'm going to be there tomorrow and then not show up you know, for whatever reason, the dog ate my homework, whatever. And but, they're the
0: ones that are going to retire with the million dollars and, and try to live on 40 grand because they're not uh, doing yeah, anything to... It's just,
1: you know, not this class. I, I've taught uh, six or seven other classes too. Like I've been teaching for the last few months, a stats class Uh, because I've been on Smedra's stats committee for what, five, six years? Sort of their lead stats geek. And so we, we've been wanting to, I'd started on this class for sort of a stats 101 class for realtors back right before COVID hit. Then, you know, everything, the world stopped. So finished it here, I was in January and started teaching it. And I teach it at Smedra and we do have two hours of CE credit because we combine it with some other stuff. And then I teach it on my own for an hour, you know, 60 to 70 minutes, something like that. And it's just fun. I go through the nine key stats that I track, you know, on a monthly basis.
0: And is I that need...
1: that's specific to Denver, I assume? Yeah, it is. I haven't tried to do it elsewhere. I might, but I haven't done that yet. You know, part of it, it would be difficult because I, I have years of data, to, you know, at my disposal and I've been watching this market, you know, for nearly 20 years, So it'd be hard to go and do it, say Springs Fort Collins or something like that. Cause I just, I just, I'm not the expert
0: there. Do you find that your turnout's better on a class that has current statistics? Like I would think the turnout would be better.
1: Yeah, we've had good success. I've taught it what now three times at Smedra. Even when I taught it in July, you know, we had I think 35 realtors show up, which is that's huge. Bit, that's huge, you know, for summertime classes. Yeah, you know, and we get rave reviews about the class, which is great. And I'm, I've taught it some of my own for just an hour, and you know, get good turnout. And I'll be teaching it again here, you know, soon. And it's just a fun class to teach because most realtors aren't very good with numbers or stats. And so I, you know, many of them are on You just make it so much easier for me to understand and comprehend, and hopefully put into place you know, so that they can better serve their clients. The Real Estate
0: Educators Podcast is brought to you by Pine Financial Group. Pine Financial Group is a private lender specializing in value-add bridge lending for real estate investors. This is accomplished by raising private money from individual investors and lending that money out in short-term real estate loans. Pine operates one of the coolest public mortgage funds on the market because it brings consistency and security to your investment portfolio without giving up on returns. The fund pays its investors a flat 8% return with monthly distributions. There is a low minimum investment and no lockup period. That's right. You can request all of your money back at any time without any fees. Diversify your portfolio out of Wall Street and into Main Street with the Pine Financial Group Public Fund, PFG Fund 5. Find out more at pinefinancialgroup.com. That's pinefinancialgroup.com. So your target sounds like absolutely is realtors and then you get your business from them. Right. So if it was a realtor or something listening here and they wanted to to go after real estate investors because at least it's a, some repeat business. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of advice would you give them as far as teaching mm. classes to fill up your pipeline? To, I'm assuming it works for you because you've been doing it for 20 years.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I mean, like say for realtors, I mean, I think that's why I like this class, you know, how to create a pension using real estate is great for realtors because it helps arm them with a lot of the reasons why and how to get started. Cause so many, you know, realtors are honestly scared by investors.
0: That's interesting. A lot
1: of the investors know a lot more about the real estate market. That than is maybe. true. <laughs> you know, uh, and you're concerned about that. They don't know anything about the rental sites. So I'm giving the realtors, okay, here's two hours of a ton of material on why people need to do it. And here's a bunch of tips you know, of, you know, how to finance the properties, how to acquire the properties, you know, should you buy condos or townhomes, single family, multi-unit, you know, the pros and cons of all of them because I've owned all of them. So it's just, you know. So you probably have investors in your classes too. Right, yeah, I do. You know, I just love to educate and I guess for realtors and working with, you know, investors, you just got to get in and learn and learn it you know, and, you know, say, attend my class, you know, read my newsletters, because a lot of it is just market knowledge and just realize, okay, your investors can be great clients because there are some, a lot of times buying multiple properties, whether they're fixing or, you know, buying holders, you know, they can be really loyal clients once they find a realtor who gets them and understands them and is really willing to help them. And understanding that hey sorry it's it's about the numbers yeah so we're
0: a little different because we're a lot of our clients are fix and flip so we might have a client do two deals a month you know that kind of thing but just a standard investor that wants to pick up a little portfolio and and retire you know comfortably one Mm -hmm. year two in a year's time is all you need and that's two deals is you know the realtor might not have gotten if they weren't right. focused on the investor client,
1: yeah. and because your investors, if you treat them well and you know and stuff, they'll keep coming back to That's right. you know I agree. And so it's a great clientele for realtors to have uh, because of the repeat business,
0: yep, totally agree. So let's talk about this newsletter. Um, first of all, we want to make sure we know how to get on it. So if anyone's okay. listening that wants to join it, but tell us about it, because what I like about it, Lonnie, is it's so short. Like you you give me so much information and you break it down so I can read this Ooh. two paragraphs and then I can read this two paragraphs. It's not like this long or right. full of articles and all this. So tell us about, I, I guess I kind of just did, but tell us about yeah. your, your newsletter.
1: Yeah, I just started writing in 06. I've been using constant contact the whole time. You know, I always write it in Word and then cut and paste it in into constant contact. But usually have anywhere from four to six, maybe seven stories every week of what's going on in the real estate market to what's going on in our local economy, maybe the jobs market. Or like, you know, I saw a story just the other day that, yeah, I think it was yesterday that named Denver's in, was number four on the list of rich millennials moving here. You know, those kind I don't know of what things. that means, but OK, yeah, that's right. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just sort of sometimes funny or good evidences of, hey, you know, Denver's still a great place to live. Or like last week, I didn't put it in my news or I saw a story that Denver at least wasn't on the top 15 list of the most what was it like the most expensive cities to live in and stuff. And I'm going, OK, at least we didn't make that list.
0: Yeah, finally. Like we we were the boast, and we might still be non-coastal city. Yeah, as far as affordability,
1: right. And so it's just I try to put you know that kind of you know stories, and I write a lot about the Federal Reserve. Oh God. I love how you put oh, your shit. opinion and like you give me the facts. <laughs> you, this is my
0: opinion.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just like oh my God, it's just amazing to me of how the the Board of Governors and stuff basically refused to listen to their own economists. Yep. You know, especially like the San Francisco Fed, it was it Mary Daly, what was it, two or three weeks ago, she said on Tuesday, yeah, we got to keep raising rates and stuff. Well, the day before her own Fed, their economists said, is the number one thing affecting inflation is shelter costs. Well, how the federal government measures it is just insane and stupid and outdated, and it's old data. And that's you know partially what her economists were saying. And when they were saying, okay, at that time, shelter inflation was 8% year over year. And they said it's going to be down to 5% by November, and they believe negative by May. And if that happens, we're definitely back to you know inflation at 2% or lower. Yeah, it's almost
0: 40% of the overall yeah, inflation numbers. It's
1: number, 43% it? of the core CPI. Is the shelter yeah. cost. And so and the, the headline CPI, then it would
0: be, what's it just over 30% of yeah, that? Yeah, it's
1: a little over 30% of the headline. Right. And you just go, okay. And I don't feel like the Fed's following the trends. They're still just looking at year over year. But if you look at the last three months, the last six months, inflation is definitely dropping fast. That's because
0: when you do quantitative tightening and you do uh, aggressive Interest rate hikes—it takes time, like you said. It's old data, of course, because you have houses that go under contract, and then it takes a while to close, and it takes a while to report, right? So it takes time to get through yeah. the system. Is that what you're referring to?
1: Right. Yeah. And I, then you look at—you know, we had three—you know—banks fail earlier. What was that March or April? And I'm like, having oh, yeah, come March, out five. of banking, I'm going, "There's more to come." Oh yeah, because of the Fed. Uh, And their aggressive actions and they're taking more actions on banks are requiring more assets and stuff, more capital uh, and credits getting a lot tighter. And I go, okay, the one sector of real estate that could get hit hard soon is the commercial real estate sector, especially office and retail. So there's going to be opportunities there for the bigger investors, you know, to swoop up, you know, big office buildings or retail stuff you know maybe for pennies on the dollar
0: i think that's interesting you say that cuz i totally agree with you on office um i thought the other asset class that I, the other asset class i am con- personally concerned with is multifamily i'm mm. more concerned with multifamily than than retail simply because multifamily has been trading at compressed cap rates and the cap rates have not kept up with the rates
1: yeah i would agree here in the denver market you know with multifamily i think we're going to see that the developers are building too many new apartments, you know. Especially when I read that there's something like seventy thousand more coming, you know, over the next three or four years. And I go, okay, I bet at least half of them will never get financing because the numbers aren't going to pencil out when the primes at prime rates eight and a half. That's right. Yeah, you know, or maybe three fourths of them don't pencil out. That's you know, right. so that number I'm sure will really drop. But the hard thing is they can't afford to build affordable apartments. It's just, it's not possible. The land cost the permitting, the water cost they got, the developers have so much money. They can't do, they can't build affordable. It's just, it's just plain not possible, whether it's multifamily or single family, you know, single family, you know, they, and often they have $200,000 into the home before they even dig dirt. That's right. So you're saying, I'm going to make sure I understand this
0: right. So you're saying that a lot of the multifamily inventory is not going to ever get built. Mm -hmm. So you think that will keep prices higher than what maybe I, what I think.
1: Yeah, that's what I think will happen, you know, because at some point the banks are just going to put a stop to it, especially with what the Fed's doing, you know, you know, even to regional banks, because regional banks are the ones that hold most of those loans. And write most of those loans, and I just think the loans aren't going to happen. Hey, yeah, the numbers work great when prime was you know three percent or four, but not at eight and a half. Right. The numbers. Well,
0: that's what I was saying about the cap rates. I mean, especially Denver, but I'm seeing this all over the country. You're still seeing cap rates five five and a half percent on apartment buildings with interest rates you're borrowing at over seven. Right. Yeah. So now, now you have a situation where it's costing you more to bring in leverage than your the property is producing, and that that just doesn't work. So I think, I think at some point cap rates have to come up unless you see rates, mortgage rates are right. Yeah, if those I mean, come down. Just, that we're it's just
1: okay I mean, that's one of the things I'll discuss in my class. Okay. Uh, of how to I'll create. I have to come. Use in real I mean, there's four ways to make money and. For years, people have just been focused on the monthly cash flow, which is flipping awesome. But yeah. you're not going to get cash flow in in Colorado anymore with 25 percent down on a single family home. You're probably right. going to have to put 30 to 35 percent down just to break even. Mm-hmm. Yep, we're seeing that for sure. You know, and now you're true. seeing that on
0: the on the multi or any commercial because the debt service coverage ratio is it? right. So you're we're
1: seeing 40 even more percent down
0: to get those yeah. to work.
1: And so you just go, okay, you, you got to remember, it's a long-term investment. So if you're going to own it long-term and you're vigilant about raising rents, you know, on an annual basis, and then refinance when you can, you know, you, hopefully that number will go positive within the next two to three years. But you got to be able to go, okay, I'm just breaking even. And that's, a, you know, that's as good as you're going to get maybe and yeah. <laughs> unless you find like
0: some off-market stuff that needs rehab uh-huh. that nobody wants and you can you can add value so we are seeing still seeing cash flow in those but yeah if you're looking right out of the mls something ready to move into i i agree
1: yeah yeah and so it's just you got to remember it's a long-term investment so you got to remember there's other ways to make money there's appreciation there's depreciation on your tax returns which is a, can be incredible And then you have monthly principal reduction that's done by your tenants. Yep. You know, they're paying down your mortgage. And it's always fun to to talk with. I've probably helped over a thousand first time homebuyers in my career. And it's always funny when I hear them say, uh, well, I just, I don't know that I want, I want to pay a mortgage. And I go, you already are. That's right, you're just somebody else's. You're paying, you're paying your landlord's mortgage. <laughs> you're gonna help him or her retire or pay for their kids to go to college, and they just have mm-hmm. this look on their face like, oh my god, they'd never thought of it.
0: That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the, the newsletter is amazing, especially mm-hmm. if you're in Denver. But I think there's a lot in there, even if you're not. So how do we mm-hmm.
1: get all, how do we get that? Yeah, best. Best way you could email me at, at That's denver's real estate geek at gmail dot denver's plural. with an s plural, denver's real estate geek
0: at gmail.com. All right, and you probably get some clients from that, I assume, and you get phone calls, yeah. and you get emails, oh, yeah. and you get all that stuff, right? So, moving on to YouTube, because so I know you have a YouTube channel, you do videos mm-hmm. there. Um, tell us about the channel.
1: Yeah, I mean I was spending a lot of money you know doing the professional videos of you know often 4 to 6 minutes long. I was sort of bummed I never got really any traction with consumers on them. I I was jokingly telling the lady who was doing them, maybe I need to do them topless or something to get attention. (laughs) That that would probably work. (laughs) You might get more unlikes than likes, but it would definitely work. So (laughs) I decided, okay, I'm just going to do them on my own and do them much shorter. Like I did, I think two weeks ago, I did four shorts or all under a minute where I talked about, I titled them, well, three of them were basically titled who's going to re- return to the, the market, the real estate market first the chicken or the egg with the chicken being the buyer and the egg being okay. the home or the seller okay you know and you look at the surveys that have been done on the buy side, John Burns real estate consulting did a great survey back in April where they asked 1200 plus people who want to buy a home in the next year you know what interest rate do you need to re-enter the market? of them said rates got to be under five and a half percent. And then there have been a couple surveys done of of homeowners and stuff. I mean, Zillow did one. It was sort of, they didn't do well, but it came up with 5% was sort of the rate that sellers need. But there was a better survey that was done. That was done through Redfin in June that basically said, even if rates drop below 5%, there's only going to be about 27% more sellers We get to 49% when rates drop below four. And they're getting
0: close to where they're at now.
1: Right. And you just go, okay, buyers are going to return to the market first. And what I've been telling them, okay, when rates get to five and a half, there's going to be a rush of buyers, but we're not going to have a rush or a huge surge in inventory of homes to buy. So guess what's going to happen? There's going to be Such big bidding wars again. We may get, they may see 5, 10, 15 offers on a, on a $500,000 home that then sells for five fifty. dollars you know, because of the rush of buyers again. And I just go, hey, I don't know we're ever going to see a big surge in inventory because I go, I don't know that we're going to see rates below 4% ever again in my career. Um, outside of a black swan event like covid world war three something like that Mm -hmm. you know maybe we will love to see it but i doubt it so those expectations obviously will be changing then
0: so if you do a that same survey maybe a year from now you might see totally different results
1: yeah you might i mean like i've been telling agents for you know a year now It's back to the basics. People are only moving because of big change in their lives. You know, marriage, divorce, having kids, adopting kids, kids moving out, job changes or relocations. That's why people are moving. So you got to find out who's going through big change. Those are the reasons why people are moving. They're not moving, you know, to, to put Johnny into a better school district right now. Right. Or, you know, they're not trying to keep up with the Joneses. Yep. They're not upgrading. Nope. Yeah.
0: Okay. So you do the, how, how do we find the YouTube?
1: Yeah. Just Google my name, Lonnie Glessner. Uh You'll find me on YouTube. Uh, but I was just, have been thinking about this. I need to get it named, you know, just, you know, mine. I just haven't done it. Too many other things going on that I'm working on. Okay. So, yeah. So yeah. it's usually they like just YouTube me. backslash. Yeah. 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 It's a bunch of letters and numbers and stuff. Okay. So <laughs> I just haven't taken the time to go get it named because I think I can now. I think I have a couple hundred subscribers, yeah, just Google me. I think it comes up first or second with Google. All right. I know we're running short on time here, but we just
0: talked about sensitivity to rates. Mm
1: -hmm. And right
0: before we started recording this amazing episode, you were talking about a strategy that you're seeing realtors or you, mortgage people, employ to get buyers off the fence?
1: Yeah, of where I think the big thing now, I mean, buyer's biggest pain is the monthly payment, okay? How how can we help them with that? And the best solution by far is for the seller to offer a 2-1 temporary interest rate buy-down. Where their rate is two percent lower the first year and one percent lower the second year I and mean, like i've calculated out the numbers like on a five hundred thousand dollar loan amount a two percent lower rate saves them about six hundred and thirty dollars a month the first year every month second year the savings are about 330 a month so it does wonders you know for the buyer of taking away some of their pain and it's something the sellers can pay for and actually have to pay for it. The buyers aren't allowed to pay for it themselves. So oh, the that's sellers, interesting. yeah, lenders just won't allow it and you can't do it on a jumbo loan. Uh, just con- conventional conforming loans. You know, you can do it FHA and VA as well. Uh, but it's just a great solution to help get buyers moving into their new home and And I'm like, it's better than say, having the seller pay a bunch of points to buy down your rate. Because when rates do drop, you're gonna lose that. Whereas at least with a temporary buy down, the money goes into an escrow account with your loan servicer. So let's just say rates drop 1% a year from now. Well, now you can refinance. You're gonna get that money back by way of principal reduction on your mortgage. So let's just say you had $5,000 still left in that escrow account. That money goes to reduce your principal balance. So you're not cool. losing it, Yeah, you know? So it's just, you know, it's a great solution, you know, for buyers. And, you know, now that the market has slowed, you know, fewer showings, fewer offers on a lot of homes, homes going through price changes. And, okay. to me, the buy down is a better solution for both the seller and the buyer. Well, I think it's a fantastic strategy. So if you're listening to
0: this and you're on the fence or if you're a seller, you want more information on the buy down, definitely reach out to Lonnie. All right, we're going to wrap up here, Lonnie. What else, any final pieces of advice or anything you want to share before we close this out? I think my biggest
1: thing is for buyers, don't wait. You know, because once rates do drop, there's going to be a rush of buyers and it comes back to the old adage, marry the home, date the rate. You know, buy the home, get committed to the home, but you're going to be dating your mortgage. You'll probably be refinancing sometime in the next two years, and you're going to save the, the largest amount of money by buying today and refinancing later. Because I'm afraid once rates do drop, there's going to be a rush of home buyers to buy homes, and home prices could really soar then. Yeah, and you want to be owning. Property, you want to be owning and, and then taking advantage of the equity you yeah. know your home may appreciate 10 12 you know that you just bought instead of waiting for it to go up 10 or 12 percent to buy it then
0: yeah totally so. agree. well great advice okay well i'm going to close out here lonnie so appreciate you coming on um i'd love to have you back on if you're open to it um yeah. sometime and we just talked talk shop, talk, talk stats. Cause I know you're very good at that. Um, I always like to hear it. Um, be sure to check out Lonnie on his YouTube, on his, uh, newsletter, email him. You said, email you to get that. Is there a website and you, any other way to contact you?
1: Yeah. I mean, my cell phone, you know, they can always text me too is 303-881-6374. That's 303-881-6374. And so they could text me to get onto my newsletter list as well. All right. Well, we
0: thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. And we'll see you on the next one. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you did, please be sure to follow and leave us a review. Oh, yeah. And tell a friend.